followers of Christ. Now, the real command is not to go. I mean, Shell Oil Company sends people, and they go. Uh, all kinds of people send people around the world, and they go. I talked to a guy that worked at Caterpillar just this la- two weeks ago, and he flies all over the world. It's not the going. The real command is, as you're going into all the world, make disciples. Now, there's a flexible principle and there's a fixed principle. The fixed principle is you make disciples. That is our commission. That is what we do. Now, people are going to imitate you. I I mean, your little boy is going to imitate you. Your little girl is going to imitate the mom or the grandmother. They're going to imitate you because that's what we do. That's how we learn. That's the process we go through. That's a, it's a pretty fixed principle that, that we make disciples. Now, the flexible principle is how we do that, okay? Now, you can do it on a one-to-one. You can meet once a week. You can do it just as buddies as you, you walk along and you work and you, you train. Or you can do it in a little bit more fashionable way. You can do it through theological education by extension. You can meet with a group of guys or a group of gals and, and study together as you learn God's Word. Or you can do it in a formal way. You can go to Bible school. Okay, now, now in Sierra Leone, uh, we use all the, all the ways. Uh, any, uh, there, there's something about, you see, it's, it's kind of a, the, the Kronko people are kind of a minor caste system. If uh, you're born into a family of uh, uh, Tures, you're allowed, <coughs> excuse me, you're allowed to be a blacksmith. If you're, if you're a Korma, you're a musician. If you're a Mara, you're in the lineage of the chief. Okay, so there, it's kind of a caste system. Now, if I'm a Mara and I want to be a blacksmith, it's not going to happen. People aren't going to come to me and have me work because I have not got that lineage and that training. And so the grandfather takes the, the grandson and trains him. Now, in the church, we've got to do the same thing. And so we started out with one little itty-bitty church. There were 30. Five, 40 Christians up in the Cameroon area. And, and uh, God gave me a gospel team. I remember sharing that with you. And we walked out. Uh, do you know that this year in March, when they meet for their general conference in March, there will probably be 14 pastors from that area, and they will have reached 60 towns with the gospel of Jesus. That is fantastic. Because what they're doing is, this area is unreached. The the churches are full of first-generation believers. In other words, their grandparents weren't Christians. Their parents weren't Christians. They have stepped out of animism and heathen pagan darkness, and they have become the first generation of Christians. Then they got a vision to plant another church, and they planted one there. That makes the second generation of first-generation Christians. You still with me? And they got together with them and planted another one. We're in our fifth generation of first-generation churches. Okay? Now, uh, now we're starting to get some second-generation Christians. Now, now, as they take surveys around the world, uh, okay, the first generation, often they're illiterate, but they've got a strong faith. Okay? And uh, the second-generation Christian, they learn to read and write. And what happens is they take God's word and they say, if God's word says it, that's the way it is. And let me tell you something, that is the way it is. And we had a a Cumbri from Nigeria come over. Now, my parents went among the Cumbri people in 1945, and they met in the entire Cumbri nation for believers. Okay? One of them was out of the town. He was gone someplace, I think, for higher education. 
A second one was uh, a woman in the town. A third one was a young man. And the fourth one was Kamashi. Now, Kamashi was a leprosy patient. He didn't have any hands. He didn't have any feet. And uh, mom and dad uh, would, after church, we'd go and we'd greet Kamashi, one of four Christians in the entire nation that knew Jesus. And uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say, give me a nickel. Let me go give Kamashi a nickel. And so I'd walk real patiently as a little boy, and I'd walk. We'd get up near, and, and I couldn't hold myself anymore. I'd take off running, and I'd start greeting, Salam Aleikum, Salam Aleikum. And, and, and this stub of a hand would reach out and slide the mat away from the door. Uh, it was just a woven mat of his little hut, and he'd reach out, and I'd see this hand slide. And then he'd, he'd put his hands down on the ground like this, and he'd scoot forward. And I'd go to put my hand, my nickel in his hand, and there weren't any fingers. So I'd lay it there very carefully, and he'd put his hand together like that, and he'd scoot back into the hut, and I'd hear a clink as he dropped it in a can inside the hut. And he'd come out. By the time he'd come out, I'd have big crocodile tears just running down my cheeks. He'd say, what you crying for, boy? <laughs> he'd say, man, don't worry about me. He said, someday I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to get new hands, and I'm going to get new feet. You get to heaven, I'll show you. Well, time passed. I went away to school, and I remember I came back from school that year, and, and uh, boy, that first Sunday, I said, don't give me a nickel, man, give me a quarter. And I got my quarter, and I took off running. And I got to the top of the hill outside of town where Kamashi lived, and, and, and sure enough, this stump of a hand reached out and pushed the mat aside, and, and he scooted forward, and I looked, and there's a big hole where his nose used to be, and it was just oozing. And I started to cry. He didn't say anything. Clink came back and he said, it's not going to be long now. I'm going home to heaven. I'm going to get my new hands and my new feet. Well, I went back to school, came home. I, I remember when Kamashi died, my uh, mom and dad joined a small group of Christians. By that time, there was probably, there might have been a dozen Christians in town. They gathered around, they rolled him up in a sheet. And the Muslims wouldn't have anything to do with him because he defied everything they taught. The, tri and, uh, what do they call them, uh, African tribal religion, the, the, uh, the animus, they just were really upset with Kamashi because he believed in Jesus and defied everything they taught about the evil spirits and, and the world of darkness, and, and so they wouldn't touch his body. So the Christians wrapped him in a sheet and they laid him in the ground and there wasn't a dry eye because you could almost hear Kamashi saying, I got my new hands. I got my new feet. Because of Jesus and what he did for me. You see, it's real. It's real. And that was in the late 40s. They went almost 30 years before revival touched down in that little church where Kamashi attended. He couldn't attend because, well, he just couldn't. But revival touched down. And it set off a spark of renewal in that church. And people got, fell in love with Jesus all over again. And they began to spread out. Last year, they had to divide the district in half because they lost track of how many churches they planted. Not how many believers, but how many churches they planted.
There are more missionary churches today in Nigeria than there are in America. There are bigger missionary churches in Nigeria than there are in America. There are more believers, and they have almost 1,000 men in training for the ministry today in Nigeria. And they sent two of them over, and one of them was a Cumbri. Get this, 60 years later, he comes over to help us as the principal of our Bible school. That is missions full cycle. That is what God is doing. That is what God can do and continues to do as he takes men and women who fall in love with him and they get their training. And this guy was not just an anybody guy. (laughs) He has a master's in theology and he came over to help us, second generation missionaries, plant a Bible school in Sierra Leone. Isn't God awesome? And the Cumbria Church has grown by leaps and bounds. They've defied the fetish. They've taken on Islam. They've had three of their churches burnt down by Muslims, and they rebuilt those churches to the glory of God. In a town where Kamashi was, they now have seven churches throughout that, that area, that, that town. It's grown. The town has grown, and they've continued to plant churches. God is at work. Now, in Sierra Leone, it's a little bit different. It's been slow, steady growth. Where we started out with one church of 35 or 40 believers, we now have a whole bunch of churches, 14 pastors, and they've reached 60 villages. But then the war came, and the war wiped out the entire, I mean, the the northern part of the country. As a matter of fact, the rebels at one point during that Blood Diamonds War said to the government, if we can't have the country, you can't have If we can't have the government, you can't have a country. And they set out to systematically destroy everything. Okay, we'll we'll show you a couple pictures real quick. I think we will. (laughs) Okay. Um, Man, maybe we could have the lights turned out so that you can see them a little bit. Um, The Bible school where in the 1970s it was and we trained our men was utterly was totally completely destroyed and uh, the proprietors of the property were the missionary church of Sierra Leone and uh, when they I built roads and bridges up in the interior and so they figured if you can build a bridge you can build a Bible school (laughs) what they didn't know Um, but anyway so uh, they came to me and they said hey the war is ended Uh, would you come back and help us by rebuilding the campus and so uh, this is what I found. Okay, go ahead and let's see the second picture. Uh, it was... Uh, it's all taken over by forest. And uh, some of the trees that grew up inside the buildings were, were bigger around than a person. Won't, won't change pictures? Okay, uh, that was one of the buildings that we had left. You can see pieces of wall standing there and uh, the trees growing up all over. Okay, the next picture. So we had to clear the land again. Now, it ta- it's... Uh, go ahead, next picture. It's almost two miles to walk around the camp. Oh, yeah, that, they left us a lot of that building. Um, <laughs> we scraped it all off and started right from the foundation. Fortunately, I had the foundation and floor. Okay, let's go ahead. 
I had the foundation and the floor. We, we cleared the campus. You can see piles of logs laying all over. But looking through one of the dorms, the first building that we rebuilt was the chapel. And uh, next picture. Uh, that, I, I like that picture because uh, Roy took that. Uh, it, it, looking through the ruins and seeing the resurrection of the campus, the principal's house. And then uh, we continued to build, and we just completed this year. We've now completed 18 buildings. Go ahead. Next picture, please. Oh, uh, we painted the dorms. See, we don't have an address. So when people's families come visit them, uh, they can say, well, I live in the red dorm, or I live in the blue dorm, or I live in the yellow dorm, or I live in the brown dorm, or I live in the green dorm, you know, whatever, so that they can have, find them a little bit simpler. We rebuilt 18 buildings, and uh, go ahead, next picture. And today, the campus looks, whoops! Yeah, it stand, the campus still stands on its head. <laughs> Okay, that's the campus. Uh, you kind of have to look at it sideways, but that's part of the 18 buildings. Okay, next picture. Now, one of the things that we did, next picture, whoa, oh, well, we won't stand on our heads to look at that one. Okay, we uh, used the picture Bibles, and uh, yeah, Claire's got that picture. We're, you don't know how grateful we are for that. That's just really, really a tremendous blessing, and we used the picture Bibles, and uh, the, the guys are trained to go out and share the pictures. Now, what we did is I took the, uh, the portions of the scripture that the Quran says they have to honor, which would be uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And uh, that's the, uh, the uh, Torah, the law. And then they have to honor Zabur, which is the Psalms, and then the Angel, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, we put together the picture Bible uh, showing the characters that they're familiar with as it leads up to Calvary. Okay, now the, the problem is they realize the, the, that Jesus is coming again, but they don't have any in-between time. And so as the church, uh, as people accept Christ and opposition comes, they need to know how to handle it. So I stepped out of the Quran and showed the book of Acts. So the last portion of the book you covered is the book of Acts. So that they know that the early church faced opposition. They, they had a lot of problems. Okay, and then the guys go out and they show these pictures. And when they come to the life of Christ, now it takes months. It may take them nine months to get through the picture Bible. And then sometimes what the, the town will say to them, boy, you know, we'd really like you to do that again. So they start back at the beginning and go through. Now, now, in one of the towns, we went through that picture Bible, I think, five times. And finally, we got to the point where they said, okay, we're, we're, we're understanding now. And we said, okay, you understand now. Now, there's two roads. There's the road, remember coloring that? There's a road of Islam, which talks about Muhammad and his descendants today. And then there's the road of Jesus that we follow through there with David and, and, and uh, Jesus. And it, it ends up at Calvary. Now, which road are you walking? And uh, it's been really interesting to watch. In some towns, there will only be one person that will accept Jesus. But in other towns, the town of Sedanincoro, all the men, adult males, except the town chief, accepted Jesus on the same day. They said, we've made a decision. We're in this way. And, uh, and then, when they get to the time, we go in with the Jesus film. And we show the Jesus film, if we can. And uh, right now, our Jesus film is a little generator, and uh, um, we, we have computers and the, pro, uh, the, the projector, and we go in, and we set it up. And it's kind of neat, you know, you put a sheet, you hang a sheet in town or a tarp or something, and the projector's over there. But there's always somebody who'll go back up behind it. 
You know, and Jesus is talking. He said, now I'll send my sheep. The sheep will be on my right and the goats on my left. But if you're back, he's left-handed. Now think about it a minute. You know, I will send the sheep to my right <laughs> and the goats to my left. I mean, everything's backwards. And uh, anyway, I just thought you'd be interested in it. <laughs> um, but then we show the Jesus film. And then Claire and I set it up and then we just disappear. And the team comes in, and they answer questions, and they discuss this. And the next morning, they have a meeting with the people. Anybody in town has a question about what they saw. The first night, they're so enthralled with the, the technology that they miss a lot of what's being said. So we have to show it a second night. We show the Jesus film a second night. By the way, Jesus speaks uh, Kuranko. He speaks Timni. He speaks Yalanka. <laughs> we have it in, what, six different languages? And, uh, boy, they, they look at it and say, man, I didn't know that God spoke. Kronko? Yeah, kind of interesting, isn't it? Okay, the next picture, please. Okay, there's the picture Bibles. And uh, that, those two pictures, I've gotten the wrong order, but um, they, they show the picture Bibles and they explain it. And, and what you, you, know, you notice there's not a church there. Uh, he's not in front of a church. And you show the pictures and you walk around and you say to the chief, big man, do you understand what this picture means? Then you go and, and you, you show the elder, and you say, do you understand? Then you show the big old mama. That's a term of respect, by the way. Um, <laughs> big old mama, that's, she's an elderly. Big is position, it's not size. It's, you are a big old mama. You've been here, you're experienced. You're, this is a heavy term of respect. Okay, and when everybody understands, then you go to the next pictures, and you show them that. And uh, uh, when they get done... Uh, then people understand it, and then they finally come to a point, and they say, okay, now make a decision which road you're walking. Okay, next. Now, that's, uh, that's the evangelism part and the building part. Now, what we do is uh, we walked up into the foothills of the mountains. It's 43 miles one direction. And we walked up there, and we shared the gospel. And one of the reasons that I was so interested in this area is because back in the late 70s, I walked from the Cameroon Mission Station down around the mountains to Yifin. And uh, uh, I stopped at certain towns, and we shared the gospel. And then we went back to the people on the end of this 60-mile hike, and we said to them, okay, as you walk through this area, please stop at these towns and share your faith in Jesus, and we will be praying for you. Well, it took 30 years of prayer. But finally, we planted a church in, the, in two of those villages. Now, as we went into, as we walked back up into the area from the Bible school with a team, um, we noticed that a high percentage of the people were going blind. And we said, what's wrong? So I, I went back down to the, the Bible school, and, and uh, by that time we got a Baja trail. It took us eight hours to drive 43 miles, and uh, we had four-wheel drive, obviously. And we drove through the, the Bog Bay River. We waited till the water went down, and we got back up in there. And Faith went there. Faith is our daughter. She's the nurse on campus. And uh, her and her husband uh, and their, uh, my three small relatives uh, live with us on, on campus, and she was a nurse. So she went up there, and she checked out these people, and she went back, and she did some research. She said, they've got one of three waterborne diseases. So Pastor Wall and I went back up there. We walked back up there, and we sat down with the chief and the elders, and we said, hey, you know, you've got one of three waterborne diseases. Uh, what are you going to do about this? And they said, well, could you go up in the mountain and dam up the river and then pipe the water down into the town. That's what they've done on the other side of the mountain. And I said, yeah, we could do that. 
I said, the problem is you'd be drinking the same water. You'd be drinking the same disease. All we'd be doing is saving you a half mile or a mile or mile and a half walk to the river. I said, can't you come up with a better idea than that so that you don't, your children don't have to face blindness? Well, a couple months before, Claire and I had been up in there, and, and uh, she gives Beanie Babies away. You know, people donate us Beanie Babies, and we give them to the kids in the village. They don't have toys. I remember giving marbles to these little guys. And uh, these guys were about five, six, seven years old, and they'd be playing with their marbles, and they'd see the big boys coming, they'd grab their marbles, stick them in their cheeks, look like a little chip out. And then the big boys would pass on, and they'd pull their marbles out and play again. You know, I mean, these are their treasures, okay? Claire gave this little girl a teddy bear. She'd never seen a toy before, so this was really, really valuable. I mean, it was, if you wanted to know what the little girl was, all she had to do was find her teddy bear. I mean, that teddy bear went everywhere with her. She was about five years old. Well, finally, I sat down with the chief, and I said, what do you think we ought to do? They said, well, really, we need a well. But we can't dig a well. I said, what if we find somebody that can dig a well for you? So we worked with them, and as you know, we found people that have dug wells. And, and, and we went up there, and in that village, we dug a well. Now, we hit rock 26 times. Now, this is a hand-dug well. This is something like work. <laughs> you have a little 7-inch auger, and this auger you set in the ground, and then you, put, you, you fasten a 1-inch square pipe up. It's usually the first one's 10 feet, and then you put clamps on it, and you just walk in a circle. When you get down 10 feet, well, as the auger fills up, you dump it and put another one on and, you know, go. When you get down 10 feet, you put a 20-foot pipe on, and then you start adding 20-foot pipes as you go down. We hit rock between 35 and 42 feet everywhere we tried, 26 times. Finally, the 27th time, we got 15 feet of water above the rock, and we said, man, this isn't enough to wash your clothes. It's not enough to do your cooking, but it's enough to drink. So we capped it. Next picture. And we ended up with a well. As soon as we started pumping pure, clean, cold drinking water up out of the ground, this little girl came to me, and she offered to give me back her teddy bear as a thank you. Because for the first time, she had hope. Little five-year-old girl. Pastor Adama was there, and uh, as the spiritual leader of that town, he, uh, the, the church was doing well. Uh, he, uh, the, the pastor in the next uh, village had messed up, and I was with uh, Pastor Wallen from the Bible school when we walked up in there, and uh, he sat down with the, the church, and he said, this guy can't be your pastor anymore. Uh, so they were without a pastor. So we sent a second guy up. Just not too long after that, the second guy got up there and he became addicted to palm wine. Uh, he was a drunk. And so he himself went to the church and said, I can't be a pastor anymore. So Pastor Adama at the little town where the little girl with the teddy bear was, a little church in Tucson, Arizona, bought him a bicycle. And he went back and forth between these two towns as their pastor. And both towns were sensing the blessing of God. In February of this year, God called Adama home. Next. Next picture, yeah. The little churches often start out like this. This, by the way, is what the church in the town where you were at started out like. That is the church that was in the town of Faya. They worshiped there. 
They had a good time there, too. Uh, once in a while, the congregation would get a little big, and they'd move out, and they'd just sit outside. And they asked us if we could help, and that's when you stepped in. Next, please. And so we built a church. Uh, like all the churches, they, they, have to, uh, they have to get the land. They have to agree to do all the labor. They make their own blocks. They, they whatever is necessary for the church. And then we step in and we provide the, well, we send the lumberjacks up. Um, our lumberjacks use three-foot chains, uh, blades on a chainsaw, and uh, they fell the tree, and they, they're kind of fun to watch. They, they take their chainsaw, and with their bare feet, they, they walk backwards on the log, and they lay off the slabs, and then uh, they turn it like they're supposed to. And then you want a one-inch board, they chalk line it, and one inch, you want a two-inch board. So I bought them steel-toed shoes, because I was kind of concerned about their toes. <laughs> They wear the, to- the shoes going into town, but when they go to work, they go barefoot. <laughs> oh, I-, I also bought them hard hats. Yeah, they wear those to town, too. Um, and, uh, and, and goggles. They wear those to town. They, they were, uh, you know. But when they're working, oh, no, it's bare hands, bare feet, and, boy, they're good. They're really good. Um, for the church that you built, our lumberjacks split 150 50 boards. Yeah, and the pastor of the church that you built is standing right there. He's a the front guy, uh, Sekupeli. By the way, uh, last month, him and his wife had a little baby boy, and uh, normally they wait uh, uh, eight days or two weeks or maybe a month, and then they, they name the child. Well, he decided that he would break tradition and do it early, so he uh, called the Christians in from the next village over, and uh, they were going to name the child on Sunday, and Friday, at four days old, the baby died. And so uh, keep him in your prayers as they try to work through that, that issue. Okay, and then another, another church. Uh, this church is uh, in that same area. Years ago, when I first went to Sierra Leone, they were so steeped in heathen, pagan, animistic darkness that men from outside the Tambayabalia section would not marry a girl from Tambayabalia section because they were afraid of what the demonic would come into the marriage relationship. We continued to go there. There were two Christians in town. One of them was Tommy. Tommy was a leprosy patient, but he had the gift of teaching. And uh, he taught people how to read and write. And uh, he started the church. And we kept going in there with the gospel team, and slowly the church began to grow. And then the war came, and... uh, uh, you can turn it off now if you'd like. And the war came, and uh, they asked one of the pastors in that area if he would be a paramount, if he would be the section chief, because he was in the lineage of the chiefs. And uh, he came to the church, and the church prayed with him for several days about it. And finally, they got he got peace, and he said, "Okay." He said, "I'm young." He said, "I, I don't have any experience." He said, "But but God seems to be telling me He wants me to be the chief." So he went to his family and he said, yeah, I'll stand. But he said, you know I'm not going to get it. They said, well, we'll see. He got it. He's the section chief for the whole Tambayabalia section. His goal is to have a church or a Christian school in every town in that section. He's got two to go. Okay? Now they've sent six guys down to the Bible school. The men from the area are no longer afraid to marry gals from that area. 
And two weeks before we came home this time, if you had been on my cloud and you weren't shouting praises to God, I'd have shouted you right off of my cloud. Because one Sunday morning, they had the girls that were married to men who were training for the ministry come up and do a special numbered song. It was a choir. It was fantastic. Because God is at work. Every time we go into that area, they say to us, when you get back to America, tell people to pray for us. Because as we grow, opposition from Islam is increasing. They're now sending missionaries from Guinea down into that area to try to stop the growth of the church. They need your prayers. And in the middle of that area, there's a cluster of churches that are standing true. They're preaching the word, and they're living it. And they need your prayers. You all built those churches, by the way. You all put in water for them. And the reason we put in water is so that they can learn about the living water and that they can share it with others because God is so good. And so we want to, on behalf of the Church of Sierra Leone, we want to thank you. We want to thank you for your investment. We want to thank you even more than that for your prayers. We, we pray that as, as uh, you as a church adopt the little town of Faia, that you will sense God's blessing and God's growth here, just as they're sensing over there. So we'd like the pastor to come forward and the missions uh, director or committee or somebody, anybody. We, uh, we put together a book, uh, Faia Village 2017. And uh, this village is, well, they've only had a road to their town for <laughs> a couple years here. At them. And uh, we put together a, a picture book of the village, uh, the road to it, Pastor Seku in their first church, and then uh, how they built the church, the blocks, and then we saved one page because they just finished painting their church. It's all done. That goes there. We'll send you the picture when it comes. Um, and then their water source was just a dumpy little stream, uh, kind of like a swamp there. And uh, that was their water source, and uh, they were very concerned about it. And it would dry up, and when this water source dried up, they had to walk three miles to get another clean water source. And so they asked for a well. Oh, you put in <laughs> the, the pastor's two oldest sons. And so then there's a picture of how we drilled the well how we put the well together, and then the final pictures when everybody got together and the well was done. And so we would like to give you this book as a keepsake or a memory of the Faya Church. And uh, thank you on behalf of the people of Faya and the Tambayabalia section. God is at work, and you have had a part in that. We see ourselves as an extension of the church here. We're the hands and the feet, but we need your prayers. And as Islam comes against the church, we ask you to stand with us in prayer, that they will always have the courage to lift up Jesus. Thank you. Maybe after service, if some of the congregation would all get around, then we can send them the picture of you guys. Okay. To yeah. The okay? Yep. And I can take pictures, and I'd like to take pictures of Uh, Can we all stand up here for that? That'd be fine.
We're pulling everybody up here if you want to be in the picture. <laughs> here, hold the book, Abby. Thank, boy, that's great. Wow. I'll get a picture of her alone after. Mm -hmm. God is good. Thank you, thank you. I put the picture right side up. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That's great. No, it, that was our fault. By the way, Pastor uh, Terry, the Bible school picture is it? That's most of the campus, but not quite all of it now. And, uh, yep. Anybody else want to get a mug shot? Claire, wait a minute. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's pray before we break here. I'll get Abby in. Yeah. Okay.